Well, we're going to be in the book of James again. As uh, many of you know, I've been going through James on Sundays when I get the opportunity to preach. And so that's where we're going to be at today. And today, we're going to be in chapter 3, starting with verses 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control his whole body. Now, if we put the bits into the mouth of horses to the, so that they would obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships, though they are very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the wind of the pilot direct, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts of great things. Consider how small a fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is, is a fire. The tongue is a word of, un, word of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and in itself is a fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been, and has been tamed by man, humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, in his God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grape vine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we just thank you for this time. We can come here and we can hear from your word, Lord, on how we should live our lives and how we should treat other people, God. I pray that this morning that you would just speak to our hearts and you would just reveal the area in our lives that we all struggle in, Lord. And that's the words that we say to others, that there are many times where we say things we shouldn't, Lord. Help us to see that we should use our words to build others up and not tear them down. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, as I said, today we're talking about words. I just uh, want to start off reiterating what I've, been re but I, what I've been reiterating each time I get up here to speak in James. That is, in chapter 1, he tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, because the anger of mankind does not produce the righteousness of God. And so that is a reminder to us that when we hear the word of God and God points out to us the things in our lives that need changed, it's important for us to listen because sometimes our response is to get angry when we see something in ourselves that we didn't know was there, that someone else points out, primarily God pointing out. And, and when we listen to him and we are slow to speak and we're slow to get angry, we accept what he has for us and we can change and grow to be more like Christ. And so... We have to run everything that James says through that filter that he's trying to tell us that, hey, there's some things that I'm going to say to you you may not like. There's some things that might bug you, uh, that might make you angry, but you need to listen if you want to be the way that God wants us to be. And so, and so that's where we are today. And so we're talking about words. And all of us know that words have the power to build someone up or it has the power to tear them down. 
the gift of words are something that truly is amazing. It's a gift from God that separates us from most animals. Well, every animal pretty well. But uh, you think about it, animals can't use the gift of words like we do. They don't have an elaborate conversations. They just kind of make noises and stuff. And so I think about this when we just got our new puppy, and his name is Samson. And when we first got him, oh, he was, he was a crier, like really bad. In, in the middle of the night, he would keep us up till three in the morning, four in the morning, just crying and crying and crying. And we couldn't figure out why. And there would even be times where he was crying, like we were killing him, and his tail was wagging. And so we really couldn't figure out why he was doing that. If he had words... He could explain that to us, but he doesn't. And so our words can express things as humans that explain emotions and things that we're feeling and things that we want others to know, but they can also tear us down and cause a world of problem as we see in our culture and our society today as they have. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. So I want to start with verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So he's talking about teachers and teachers in the church specifically. And uh, this passage is obviously not a passage on teaching, but James uses the illustration of teaching in the church to show us about the power of words and how they can have a bad effect. And so what he's trying to tell us here is that not everyone is called to teach. And most of us know that. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, And Christ gave gifts to men. He made some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to, to go and tell the good news, and some to have the work of caring and teaching for God's word, for God's people. And so we see by that passage that Paul says it's only allowed to some of them to teach, not everyone. And so you may have a desire to teach. You may have more knowledge in some areas than those around you. Uh, but that does not mean you're qualified to teach. God decides that, not us. And, and so what James says is we'll be judged strictly based on what we teach. And there are areas that we will be judged. And so while this is not a passage on teaching, I feel like I need to break down some of the areas that we're judged in just to show how serious it is that our words could cause a lot of damage. And so I want to start... By, going, uh, by talking about how we strive to live what we teach. In other words, not being hypocrites. Those of us who teach and those of us who preach, striving to live the way that we say when we teach others. And so Matthew 23, verses 2 through 4, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He's actually talking about the Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples and he's talking to the crowd around. And he says this, The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore do what they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that they are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. And so are we practicing, those of us in here who are teachers and preachers, are we practicing what we teach? When we teach others to be in the Word, are we striving to be in the Word? We're not going to be perfect with it, but when we teach others the things that the Bible says, we should be striving for that. And when we tell people to use their words for good, when we tell people to love others, are we striving to do that? Because Jesus strictly judged the Pharisees because they were saying to do one thing, but they were not doing the things that they taught. Teaching is not just the passing of information. If it hasn't changed us in our hearts, then we have no right to be teaching. And that's a reminder of that's an area of where God will judge us strictly. 
Another area that God will judge us strictly as teachers and preachers is what is our motivation for teaching? Matthew 23, verses 5 through 7, he goes on from what I just read, and he says this about the Pharisees and scribes. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their flak trees and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. But you are not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters in Christ. So when Jesus says you have one teacher, he's not saying that none of us should be teachers. Obviously, he gives that gift, but rather that we don't <clears throat> but rather that we don't use our title, our position as to be more important than others. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, and our goal is to build each other up and encourage each other and walk with one another. And so people misuse this position as teachers and pastors and preachers and present themselves as more eloquent more intelligent, more spiritual, and more important. And those of us who are teachers and preachers, we are not all that important. I want to st- I'm, not, I'm not to insult, okay? But I will say this. We are just brothers and sisters. But I will say this. Like, think about this for a moment. Those who we teach and preach to could easily go out and buy a set of commentaries or a nice Bible study, study Bible, and they can learn just as much, if not more, than what we're able to teach him here in an hour and a half or two hours, however long we're here. Um, And so we ought not to think highly of ourselves because God works through other avenues as well. Um, We're not as important as we think. And so, as we might think, I shouldn't say we all think that way, but um, I think about this, uh, this video that I had watched a few years back. It was this pastor who was in the middle of preaching and someone was falling asleep in in the audience and all of a sudden said, hey, hey, you need to wake up. Lift your head up. Don't you fall asleep. I'm important. I'm somebody. And for the next five minutes, he goes off actually pointing out specific people with their names and pointing out the things they're doing wrong. He thought he was important, but he's not important. It was rather interesting to watch that. Um, Very arrogant man. Uh, But people like that who who just think they're important because they're a teacher or a preacher or a pastor really has no desire to feed the sheep, but has the desire to feed their ego. And so that's another area that God will judge us strictly. We all have times that we're arrogant, and some more than others. And, and, um, and so we have, to, we have to make sure that we're not struggling so much in that area. But you can find within churches people who are teachers and preachers that don't understand that. They are all about the position that they have. And uh, when I first started, I struggled with a little bit of this because I went from before, when I wasn't preaching, I really wasn't doing anything with my life. I really didn't like myself. I was really down on myself quite a bit. And when I started preaching, I started getting some encouraging words and compliments, and and it got to my head. And and so God had to work with that in my heart, and he's still working with that in my heart. I'm always a work in progress, and we all are. Um, But that goes to show that that's an area that we are going to be judged in. He judged the Pharisees and the scribes, and so we will too. And another area, the final area that we will be judged in as teachers is that you must be able to teach the word of God and decipher what is truth from what is not truth. Because when you start putting in people in positions that don't know how to do that, then uh, it's going to destroy the church. And so I think about this one time. We had a seminary extension course through... Uh, Louisville Association, Joe Lawson uh, led that up, and anybody who wanted to join from the church could be lay people or leaders or whatever, could go sit in that class and just learn. You could take it for credit or you could just take it just to be taking it. And um, 
there was this guy from IBSA that came down to talk to us, and he told about a story one time where he went into a church, and in that church he sat in a Sunday school class, and the leader of that class was reading out of a, a magazine that she had just grabbed off the shelf, and it was called the Watchtower magazine. And so I, I don't know if you know what that is, but that's actually a magazine that's put out behind Jehovah's Witnesses, and they don't believe what we believe. But the teacher should have been able to distinguish what was real and what wasn't real. They believe something completely out there. So this whole passage, like I said, but that's another area we'll be judged by, whether we're able to deliver the word of God according to what it actually means. But this whole passage is not about teaching. Okay, I already said that. Uh, but James is using an illustration to say that if we were all teachers, because of the things we say and the ways that we mess up, there would be a lot of chaos in the church. And so... In verse 2, he goes on to clarify that we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. I stumble in many ways, just as James pointed that out. And so James is talking to all of us. He's not just talking to specific people. He's saying anyone who can go without stumbling in what they say, they're perfect, which is none of us. So all of us struggle with this issue that he's talking about. Sometimes maybe not as bad as other times in our lives, but we all struggle with it. And so Paul recognizes this about himself. In Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, give me a moment because the way he says this, it kind of gets kind of Dr. Susie on me. I get a little confused. Uh, but I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good does not exist and dwell in me in itself. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. Okay, so that's a lot to unpack there. But basically, he's saying, man, there's a lot of things that I don't want to do in my life that's wrong, but I do them because of my sinful nature. I struggle. I stumble, just as James says. And so because of that, like, we might question, well, if he did that, how did he have the right to be the apostle? Well, as an apostle, you expect someone to not do all that, right? But the truth was is that he himself was aware of that in himself. He knew that about himself, where oftentimes a lot of us don't realize that about ourselves. We're blind to it. And so what Paul says and what James says is this is the nature of the fallen person, that we all stumble in various ways, especially in what we say because none of us are perfect. And so people who are not mature in their faith are more likely to do damage to someone with what they say. And so we should be wise and actually think about the things we say before we say them. James is saying we are so messed up that if many of us were to teach, this would be chaos in here. And that's what Jesus shows us, that we can be hypocrites by saying to pull the log out of our own eyes to get ourselves right before we pull the speck out of somebody else who is struggling with something. And a lot of times we as Christians aren't willing to look at the log in our eyes, but we are willing to say things out of arrogance and ignorance and anger that will run people off from coming to Christ. And if we don't believe that, just look around. That There are so many people who don't want to go to church anymore, who don't want to be about Christians. And some of that is because they'd rather have the sin than God. Okay, so that's a legit reason as to why many of them don't come. But some of it, and I've heard it time and time again, I've been hurt by someone in the church. 
I've been hurt by words that were said to me by a Christian. And that's because we all stumble in those ways. And so in verse 3 through 7, when we put the bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey... Wait a minute. Did I say that already? Okay, yeah. When we put the bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by very small rudders wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And so we see that the words we say have a big effect on things around us. They influence actions and emotions of those around us and can ruin people's days and destroy their lives. We can look around in this country and see that, what words of people have done, especially coming out of the mouths of our leaders, politicians, celebrities, the media, and us. We oftentimes wonder why this country is the way it is. Oftentimes we need only look at ourselves. Time Magazine once posted an article with the question of what's wrong with the world. And a guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton wrote back to Time Magazine simply saying this, Dear Time Magazine, in regards to your question of what is wrong with the world, I am. And that was it. I'm what's wrong with the world. I'm what's wrong with the world, and take no offense, you're what's wrong with the world. We're all what's wrong with the world. I've set fires with the words that I've said to others, and sometimes I'm not humble enough to admit that I've done wrong. What we say can steer ships and horses, so to speak, and set devastating fires that destroy everything around us. Verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of iniquity, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Matthew 15, verse 11, this is what Jesus says. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So the words that we say when hurtful and evil shows that our hearts are defiled, dirty, and not where they should be. And so as I was preparing this passage this week, I was heavily convicted and, and, and really kind of broken for this. And I'm not just saying this to appear humble. I don't really care about that. Because I've said with my words more recently than I care to admit things that have hurt people and things that have done wrong with coworkers in previous jobs who have purposefully tried to get under my skin until I like, lashed out at them which we might think that, oh, well, it happens, that's okay. It's not okay because Jesus tells us to love our enemies. And I would say they weren't even my enemies, they just annoyed me heavily. Um, I've said things that has hurt my wife, and that's not okay. Um, it's not okay. And I can say, well, I didn't get enough sleep last night. You know, I'm having a bad day. The meds are messing with me. Still not okay. We can use our circumstances to justify the things we say and the way we treat each other. But the truth is, is those only bring out the worst in us, and the worst is in us. It's there. 
And we deny it. It's an issue of the heart when we can say things like that. And so it's something that needs change inside. Because that's the fruit of what's inside is the words we say. Verses 7 through 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So James compares us to animals. For all the things that set us apart from animals, the ability to speak, being self-aware, made in the image of God, sometimes we act no better than animals. Animals don't necessarily, like animals don't do what we do to each other. I mean, they might kill each other quick and get it over with. And we don't always kill people. But verbal abuse and evil words can cause a person a lifetime of torture and pain. And I've seen this on Wednesday nights when our youth walk in here. And sometimes it's the words that they say to each other that are hateful. And I'm like, how could you say that? And then I have to step back and realize that I I stumble in a lot of those areas too. But oftentimes it's the fact that people in their lives have said things to them, their parents, their teachers, their classmates, their friends have said things to them that have crippled them and caused them to think less of themselves. And it's hard to see. And you can't just undo that overnight. Animals don't do that to each other, but we do. Verses 9 through 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness, But out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So he uses the word brothers and sisters. And so we have to remember that James is talking to us. He's talking about Christians. The world doesn't care about what they say. You can get on Facebook and YouTube and read the comments and everything. The world doesn't care about what they say. They're not worried about taming the tongue, as James puts it. And without being born again, most people just don't care. They just say whatever pops in their head. And it's gotten worse because what used to not be said and kept in people's heads is now over the internet, just openly said. And now people of this new generation, I wouldn't say just the new generation, but this younger generation coming up is like, why can't I just say that face to face with who I'm with? And so all of us are made in the image of God. So when we say things that damage those around us, We are hurting and cursing those who have been made by God, who loves them and says that they have value. And we will be judged for this. Matthew 12, verses 36. I tell you that on the day of judgment, this is Jesus, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. This is God telling us this. God in the flesh telling us this. That when we stand before God, On Judgment Day, we will have to give an account for every careless word we speak. I don't know about you, but I can't keep track of all the careless words I've spoken. But God knows. And I have to give an account for that. And that should scare us. That should crush us. If we really think about that and really think about who God is when we stand before Him. And so we should live and speak and act as if we're going to be judged strictly in this area in what we say. We can't claim to love, God's, love God as Christians and then brutally and verbally tear down his love, lovely handiwork that he's made. As James says, this should not be. Verses 11 through 12. Can both fresh water 
and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. So, while many people are not willing to accept the responsibility for the things they've said and their actions and their words, they might be tempted to say and think, well, I don't know where that came from. I don't know how that came out of my mouth. I do. It's because my heart is producing salt water. And something inside needs to change, and that's where Jesus comes into play. Jesus wants to change all of that. When we can say things that start fires and devastate people, it's because something is rotten in our hearts. And so are we willing to admit as Christians that our hearts need changed? Are we going to continue to ignore the fact that there's symptoms there that says that God needs to change our hearts? And so as I get closer to the end here, just like our words can tear people down, they can build them up as well. I'm reminded of this when I started out at the school at the junior high. There was a teacher there who was just a sweet lady and a very encouraging person. She had started this thing. It was, a, she, it was like Speak Life. She had these sheets of paper that said Speak Life. I think she's the one that started it. And um, she would have people write comments on there that would encourage someone. They could write a comment and give it to someone to encourage them and, and make their day. And so I thought that was really neat. It's, it's based off a song by Toby Mac that says, Speak Life. It's basically speaking good things and encouraging to other people because we all need that in our lives. That teacher's no longer there. because, And I, I thoroughly believe it's because many of her students were hateful towards her. They made fun of her. And she was just, even though she was a sweet lady, they ran her off. Now she's gone. Because the world has a tendency to try to snuff out what's good. And so we should use our words to encourage people and build them up. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And the, way, the direction I'm going with this is that God has given us words to show us our value as Christians. Even though we're sinners, through Christ, God says certain things about us that should build us up. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what he calls us through Christ. We don't deserve that. We definitely don't live righteously a lot of times. But through Christ we're called the righteousness of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is saying this is who you are. If you belong to me, you are the righteousness of God. So we walk around and we, we make mistakes and we fail and we might think, well, I'm no good. I can't do anything right. I'm, I'm just worthless. No, you're the righteousness of God through Christ. You're his workmanship. And when we let that set and we think about that, we realize that we have more value than we could possibly imagine because it's God's words that has done that for us, has built us up and given us encouragement. And that's how we should be towards others. So as I come to a close here, um, where are you at with this? And I have to ask myself the same question. Where am I with this? Um, I've already admitted that recently, more recent than I care to admit, I haven't been good in this area. This is important because we live in a dark time in our country where people are just hateful to each other. 
and they just say things without thinking, and it ruins people, it ruins a country. And in the midst of that darkness, we're called to be light. We're called to stand out. We're called to be full of love, and our words are called to be kind. And that is the fruit of where our heart is. If our heart is where it should be, it won't produce salt water, it'll produce fresh water. And the more we are close to God, the more that happens. And it's necessary for us as Christians because that's the goal of us as Christians is to be God's children and to be more like his children and not just like the world, to be separate, to be set apart. And so it's important to really just learn to think before we speak. Because the things we say can devastate people's lives. The things we say to our spouse, the things we say, the way we talk to our coworkers, the way we talk to our children, and the way we talk to those around us. That we can build them up or we can tear them down. We can have an impact for the kingdom of heaven or we can have an impact for the kingdom of hell. And so... I hope this has affected someone as much as it has me this week because this is definitely an area we all fall in. And the moment that we deny that we fall in that area, we've deceived ourselves. And that's what John tells us. And so I apologize if I've ever said anything to anyone here that's hurt you. That's not the person that I want to be. It's not the person that I strive to be. And maybe you find that throughout your whole life this describes you, that you're constantly producing salt water out of your mouth. And I'm not going to say for certainty that, that you're not saved, but if it doesn't bother you, you've got to ask why. You've got to ask why. The Bible tells us to examine our hearts and to see if we actually are in the faith, if we're actually growing to be more like Christ. And if there's no sign of that in our lives, there might be a, a need to ask ourselves why. It's important. I don't want to make anybody doubt their faith, but at the same time, I would rather you doubt your faith for a few moments to stop and examine your heart than to go the rest of your life thinking you're good, only to stand before God on Judgment Day and hear the words, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And so, if you're not there, if you're not saved, you can be. And if you're not seeing the evidence in your life, and maybe you're a new Christian, that stuff takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. The more you walk with God, the more that changes. But understand that those who don't come to Christ are tending to more have that in their lives than others. And so it is understanding that Jesus died for that very fact that we're, we all stumble in various ways and we can never be made right with God because of our imperfections. Jesus died for that in our place, for all the careless words we've said, for all the actions that we've done that are against others and against God. Jesus took our place for that. And he tells us to trust in him and to turn away from living that life and to follow him. And by doing that, he will change your life. He will change who you are, guaranteed. He won't let you stay the same. He won't let you continually live that way. He will convict you and cause you to turn back to Him if you belong to Him. If you belong to Him. So I'm going to go ahead and have a time of pastoral prayer where uh, we'll all bow and we'll talk to God about these issues and, and just really be honest with ourselves this morning because this is big. 
This is a big issue that really affects the whole world. So we'll take this time to pray for that.